Hello, and welcome to Confidently Wrong, a show by regular dudes talking with confidence about content we have no right to speak about with any kind of authority, but do it anyway. I'm Wesley Nakamura, and as always, I'm joined by award-winning director Brian Redondo and Savan Jones, aka Captain Bonnie. This is episode 117, and we investigate the new Marvel Disney Plus series, Secret Invasion. I'm confident that it's going to be the best show you've ever listened to, and well, hey, if it's not, you can always ask us for a refund. Incredible! Hello, gentlemen! <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Confidently Wrong. It's good to see you all. Um, what a do? This is going to be a fun good one. Good to I see think you. We got a brand new Marvel mcu tv show good to see you guys hat tip boop um we're all in different states of uh hair disarray mostly savan has it extremely well together brian just got a haircut but he's not super satisfied with it and you don't I, like your haircut bro i kind of like it <coughs> yeah, i like it, I like it but it, it needs feels- styling man it, it like and i'm not entirely sure what that style is <laughs> does it feel like it's too upwards right now uh, it's a little. Uh, I think he thinks it's going out. to the side too much. <laughs> it's going up and over a little bit. Yeah, I, I see what you. You know, it's kind of yeah. I, was, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of forehead, but that's just like you got to style it. You gonna figure it out. <laughs> Don't hit on we the just forehead. We got big foreheads, y'all. This I'm is, not hitting on the forehead. Having... I just said I Who's see got a lot. Five There's head. nothing wrong with having a large forehead. <laughs> Rihanna has a large forehead, and that woman is beautiful. <laughs> so I just learned that her last name is Fenty. Like her 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 born given family name is Fenty. That's how she came. But I didn't realize that was why her product line was named Fenty. Yeah, she oh. kept it to the point on the nose. Yeah, I thought Fenty was you not know like either? some slang that I just hadn't heard of. Like, yo, that's Fenty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that could work though. Nah, you, you know you're making it in life when your last name just becomes slang. Ooh, Fenty. <laughs> well, damn, I mean, Jones, Nakamura. That's, that's a verb. Yeah, don't that know if that one well. rolls off. The, that one doesn't roll off the tongue. I think too many syllables. <laughs> Nakamura. Right. Yeah. No. So we're gonna talk Secret Invasion, starring Samuel L. Jackson and a host of other cameos. Um, Hell yeah! This is uh, we've had to wait quite a bit since we've seen a, an MCU series. Is Hawkeye the last one that we really saw? Oh, uh, Ms., or was it Miss Marvel? It was all stuff that was like you know late last year, right? Yeah. Well, Hawkeye was around Christmas. I feel like Miss Marvel maybe came out after that or something. But anyways, it's been a while. It's been a few months, um, which is kind of a drought for the MCU TV streaming stuff, Disney Plus stuff, because they kind of hit us with like one after another every couple months for a while there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one they announced a while ago, and I know, Savan, you were really excited about it. Very. I didn't know nothing about Secret Invasion. I had no idea what was going to happen. Like, I barely know anything about the scrolls, except I forgot. I even forgot that they could shapeshift. I knew they were green. Uh, but when they introduced that in the first episode, I was like, oh, that's right. That was their power that's set. That's right. You forgot that they could shapeshift. That's like the defining <laughs> the only characteristic. Thing they can do. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, cool, Wes. So. That's where I'm at. Where were you guys at, um, Brian? What do you What do you know about like Secret Invasion, the storyline, maybe from the comics or previous that you saw? What were you expecting? Yeah. What do you What is your familiarity with this line of the MCU? Yeah, I just knew that it was about scrolls morphing into humans and infiltrating planet Earth, 
and I, I'm pretty sure that in the comics they they are posing as different superheroes as well, and that's that's a big part of the storyline. But beyond that, I you know I am not very well initiated into you know how this grand story is going to carry out in the end. Um, but you know I'm glad I'm glad that a series like this existed, or you know I was very optimistic about a series like this because it is a Nick Fury centered story, and I was hoping for more of that. You know, secret spy work, bite, you know, some S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, getting back into the kind of the underbelly of the MCU, you know, all the things happening in the background, all the strings being pulled. Uh, And I, you know, I just felt like that would offer some interesting storytelling that we haven't had uh, in a while, probably not since, uh, you know, Captain America uh, 2. I'm blanking on the subtitle on that one. So, uh, Captain but, uh, the Winter Soldier. Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier, yeah, yeah, which is like one of the best ones. All right, clearly. Um, and Savon, what you, what was your familiar? Have you read the comic um, series Secret Invasion? I've read some of Secret Invasion. Uh, I won't pretend that it's my favorite comic book storyline because I think in the comics it's a little wild. Like having all so many hero. I think this story medium works really well in the TV medium that they're using for it, I think actually better than the comic uh, for many reasons. The main one being the, like the writing in the comics was a little bit kind of eh, all over the place quality wise, especially with, Oh, is this character a scroll? And then learning which characters were scrolls, I think wasn't done in as quality of a way. So I knew about it, but I've always loved the premise of it. And frankly, I was hyped about secret invasion. The first time I saw captain Marvel, the first one, because they kind of did a little fake out. And actually, when I was in L.A. last week, I actually, uh, me and Kendall rewatched Captain Marvel. By the way, way better movie in hindsight. We rewatched it, and I'm like, wait, really? this movie has aged really well. Like, there's a few cheesy parts, but, like, that people that movie got way too bad of a rep early on. It's actually a really good movie, actions and all, but, beside, but that's aside. Uh, Captain Marvel hyped me up because they kind of did a secret invasion fake out, right? Where you think the Skrulls are trying to infiltrate Earth and they're, you know, historically in the comics, they're villains, point blank. There's no ambiguity. They are like the quintessential evil invading space alien lizard people, right? Like it's pretty on the nose. (laughs) And, you know, the movie faked us out into thinking, oh, actually they're innocent refugees, which was a good fake out. And I thought, oh, I guess we're not going to get secret invasion. Bam, no, we're actually going to save it for the show. And so I was hyped to see, okay, how do we go from what the Skrulls were in Captain Marvel to now? What happened? How do we get to this point? And, dude, it was, it was awesome. Like, I have, that's like, there's just no other way to, yeah, I, I, I guess what I can say is I'm hyped for Secret Invasion. I like what I've gotten so far. And to Brian's point, some of my favorite MCU content was always when they go pretty much just like spy thriller jason Bourne, bond type stuff where it's not like criminal underbelly but more so geopolitics underbelly and so far they are delivering so i'm a uh, very hyped all and, right the rest of this happy so far good the rest of this is spoilers heavy so if you haven't seen it yet go see it then come back and listen or you can first just listen two episodes know that the spoilers are coming yeah we're only going to talk about the first two episodes that's all that's come out yet um as of the time that we are recording this so um, like Savon said, it does seem like we're getting a little bit more of a spy thriller, you know, someone kind of like a Jack Ryan trying to head off 
an impending, you know, doomsday scenario or terrorist attack or whatever, you know, takeover of a government, that sort of genre of of TV show or movie. Um, obviously, Savan, you've you've been favorable to it so far. Brian, what are your first impressions on the tone, kind of the the action, dialogue, all that good stuff, you know, so far? It's kind of a mixed bag, I think. Uh, I the first episode out the gate, a little rough. I think, and kind of reminded me of Falcon and the Winter Soldier in the worst ways. Uh, that there are <laughs> some, there's some pretty good moments. Uh, you know, the opening chase that was fun enough, uh, but then a lot of bad moments where there's just there's too much going on, there's too much exposition, uh, and and characters that you really don't feel anything for. However, I will say. The second episode, on the other hand, almost felt night and day to the first one. Uh, and so in that one, I did feel like not necessarily spy stuff, but, uh, you know, deception as being a, a key thing that was happening throughout that episode and lended to it, to a lot of tension, a lot of great tension uh, and and reveals that I think paid off very nicely in the second episode. Yeah. You know, so we... We get to see kind of Gravlock and, you know, what he's doing, working with a, a secret uh, council of Skrulls who have already infiltrated the upper Wait, echelons of culture. Wait, isn't that the Transformer Gravlock. <laughs> Wait, who, who's the Skrull? Who's the Skrull? Gravik. Gravik is the scroll. Gravik. What's the... Oh, Grimlock. You're thinking, thinking of, of Grimlock from Transformers. The dinosaur. The Dinobot. <laughs> yeah. Grimlock, but, right? Hey, Oh, Grimlock, Grimlock, Lord. Gridlock. That's probably a, a totally different uh, Autobot. <laughs> that's L.A. all the time. These are all different Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, we so got Gravik. we got the leader of the Renegade faction uh, of the Skrulls. It turns out he he is actually working with and takes over the council of all the rest of the other Skrulls who have also already infiltrated you know, the upper echelons of, of human society. And I think that, you know, that was a really great reveal. It really amped up the stakes of what was happening uh, and makes this secret invasion feel like an, like a secret invasion, right, uh, as it should. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, we we finally get more with Nick Fury. I, th- I think in in the first episode, he's kind of meandering about you don't really know where this guy has been and what he's been up to. Uh, in the second episode, I still feel a little bit of that. Like we're not getting, we're not getting a Jason Bourne equivalent. We're not getting a master spy equivalent. I, I have not felt that at all from Nick Fury's character. But at the very least, in the second episode, you know, we get a great tet a tet between him and Rhodey, played by Don Cheadle, which was you know just like. You know the the kind of scene that you you dream would happen in a movie franchise where these two great actors both exist, right? And they finally delivered on something like that, and it's just Ooh, they you was know cooking. it's just a treat cooking each other too. They was yeah. cooking. That was some good yeah, yeah. stuff. It's I was like, in my chair like, ooh, he talking that talk. Talking it's like that talk. when De Niro finally acts in a scene with Pacino and they're going at it, right? Like we we finally got that Don Cheadle, Sam Jackson, and 
and they're like hating on each other and you know and it just works <laughs> so well so you know so i i feel like the the show finally is you know ramping up in the second episode and we're we're getting some of the goodness that you could only imagine that the this kind of premise would deliver mhm yeah my impressions they you know they haven't done the thing where they like do winks and nods, right? This isn't a self-aware show, which is nice, I think, in contrast to some of the other stuff that they've done where they've leaned so far into like the silliness of it or the humor of it, right? And kind of like self, self-parodied self almost, you know, at, at certain times. The This one is just very earnestly trying to put on a good like – how do we stop this, you know, invasion from happening or how do we stop the ramifications from happening? I also like that it's, you know, there there is the stakes of like, I'm going to destroy the whole world, but it isn't the stakes of like, well, I'm doing it with like this nebulous, like nuclear bomb, right? Like really, it does feel like Gravix group has been putting in the work to actually infiltrate and take down society over time. Um, and it's a long game. It's a long plan. It's not, it's not just like a comic book, like, oh, ha ha ha. Like, this is so fun. I can blow things up. It's like, okay, we're going to set off this little tiny explosion over here, which is going to kill, you know, people in the square. And then this over here, we're going to like infiltrate this organization, or we're going to get some information out of this person. And all of that in, especially in the second episode makes the threat seem very real, very likely not, um, it's not just villain of the week type of stuff, right? Like they're really about this life of how do we get to our end goal? And I also was wondering, like, you know, they describe Gravik as like the rebels. But at this point, it seems like Gravik and the rest of these folks that are here are like kind of the majority of the scrolls on on Earth, maybe. Or maybe they're they have sympathies or support from a majority of the scrolls on Earth. So I don't know that there's so much the rebellion is maybe they're just the main, you know, main part of part of the scroll uh influence on earth yeah well i mean that was the whole that was the thing about the scroll council right because what was interesting about that scene was that a lot of the scroll council actually was totally content just letting the status quo be what it is and they just live in positions of like power you know that's what made it interesting is that they weren't really interested in taking over graphics the one who came in with that heat saying drinking the man's wine eating with their forks calling them sellouts and whatnot (laughs) That's what really made that scene scarier is that uh, even though they had already infiltrated Earth ages ago, they weren't really doing any negative influences, at least no more than regular people in positions of power like that would do. You know, I don't think the scroll, I don't think the scroll prime minister is going to be any better or worse humanity than the regular prime minister. Like that's just, that's just, you know, or the Fox news parody guy, like, eh, oh, man. I'll probably just take the scroll version. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but that's what made that interesting is that graphic did kind of like do a hard takeover. And that's what really made it scary. Cause they, I, it was interesting that they were criticizing him saying, Hey, you are murdering people. That is not cool. And that alone, like even just little moments like that for me are things that are making the show stand out as good. Cause nothing is really super black and white. There's a lot of gray across all the factions. Like, you know, they already clearly planted the seeds for some scrawl infighting a little bit, right? Like it's, this, this is going to be one of those shows where, you're really going to appreciate it once the whole thing is out because then I think even these episodes we've seen already, we're going to see in a different light because I'm sure we're going to see character interactions that get reframed 
based on things that we learned about them. Well, I think this is a lot of this is going to hinge on how well Amelia Clark's character Gaia, how believable it is, and her journey through which side she ends up sort of choosing to be on. Right, like if if we buy in whichever side she ends up going with, if we buy in that like that's the choice her character would have made, and that it was difficult for her to make it, and that she understands whichever way she goes, she's going to be hurting somebody or giving up something, then I think the show will work. I think if Gaia ultimately choosing, you know, whichever side, let's say she chooses with her dad's side or whatever, which is kind of seems the way she's going to go. If that doesn't feel earned, I think it's going to end up being kind of like, eh, all right, whatever, you know, like that. I think whether people can make the case on how much she loses and how much she gains, you know, I think that's going to be what whether we really buy this series or not, because everybody else seems like they're pretty clearly set on which side they're going to be on. Yeah, I got a question, though. Even know how things sw- swap up. What's up? Savon, you bring up a good point that the Council of Skrulls are totally content in their positions of power on Earth and that and leaving that be. But why why were all of them in such positions in the first place? You know, like how is it that suddenly the Skrulls have the top position of the UN and the Prime Minister of the UK? Is that a concentrated or is that a concerted effort on their part? That's not the impression I got because mainly because they were so clearly against everything that Gravik was doing. And it was very clear in that. Like, and I rewatched some of that council scene, right? Like they were kind of divided down the middle or oh, a little bit. They were soft divided. Gravik clearly bullied the others into submission because he planned it with some of the other members. But my impression was that the positions of power can let them still influence things that might benefit them. But I don't see that them influencing things for whatever their personal or gain is, is the same as them trying to do something that benefits the larger scroll race. Or at least, at the very least, not anything that involves them wiping out humanity. Because regardless, because in, in the late, and one of the people even said it, right? Like, okay, we start this nuclear war and destroy everything. Okay, then what? Because in their minds, all right, but if you destroy all of the human infrastructure that lets us live these lives of comfort, well, that doesn't really seem worth it. And so, you know, so I don't know my point. I guess my point more so is that you can try and poke holes in what that logic is. But my understanding was if you're in a position of power and you're holding it down and you're eating good, living good, then, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And obviously, Gravik took issue with that. But if anything, it adds layers to the scroll council because it's not just because, you know, part of my head will be thinking, well, if you're in a position of power, why would you suddenly be like, yeah, nuclear war? Clearly, there's I guess I'm really saying that they sold me on the different scrolls having their motivations and it makes Gravik's actions that much more scary. Cause they were like, yo, I just want to chill. And he really bullied them into saying, nah, we getting it in. We doing this thing. Well, so let's skip to the fourth question then. So yeah. oftentimes like MCU struggles a little bit with stakes. Like sometimes it's like way too much stakes for like what we're dealing with. And sometimes it's like, yeah, does this really matter? You know, like they're kind of, sometimes they get the balance off. Sometimes they do it perfectly well. And you're like, mm, chef's kiss, you know, great. Mm-hmm. But, but in this one, this, you know, the setup is basically Gravik and his group want to wipe out all the humans on Earth eventually or subjugate them or whatever so that they can take over the planet and have their own home planet, especially after Skrullos, their home planet was either destroyed or, or messed up in, in their war or they were banished or whatever. Um, so how do we feel in terms of the stakes here? I think one of the things that makes the stakes work is we haven't really seen them do anything so over the top they're not trying to yet 
right? Like, let off a nuclear bomb in the middle of Belgium or, you, you know, know that, you whatever. I want to be clear. Well, you know they that had bomb a bomb in, in Red Square. That, yeah, and I yeah. want to be clear. That wasn't like a just a boom bomb. That was a dirty bomb. Like, they made it very clear that that was like a nuclear. Like, that was. Was it? Yes, they made like there was an entire the whole plot point of the bomb the rebels got was like a dirty bomb. So this wasn't oh, just okay. a so oh, it makes boom. everybody sick as well. Yeah, like I mean, okay, I mean you yeah you know what a dirty bomb is, right? Yeah, but then but then Nick Fury was right there and he's not sick. Like that doesn't make sense. Mm, well, okay. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother <laughs> thing, and we haven't seen the rest of the show, so okay, I, you know maybe that they'll do that. But point is that yeah, I guess you're right. Th- they and they were literally going... thousands of died. So like yeah, so it wasn't little, but it wasn't. I mean, it's not. It's not like let's kill every human on Earth big, right? No, no. Yeah, I agree with you know, that like, it's a good people. middle ground of, hey, this is... <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think they, I think for the level of threat this is, it's meant to be global, West. I actually think you're right. They strike, I think that strikes a good balance of, hey, nah, they're a legitimate threat. Because at first episode, I didn't think that bomb plan was going to go off exactly how they wanted it to. And it results in thousands there. I'm like, hey, you know, that's awful. But I think that set the tone of like, hey, yo, this is real stuff. Regardless of how yeah. this goes, right? Regardless of... Like, we know the Skrulls aren't going to win and destroy the world, but regardless, damage has already been done in the process, and that alone already sells me on the stakes a lot. Like, well, you don't need yeah. to have the villains win for the stakes to feel real. You just got to have them be successful enough to where they feel like a credible threat. And them successfully framing Fury, bombing the square, getting right. the world tensions that high already says, oh, they, they bout this life. Yeah. <laughs> they do and, this. And they were able to get the American, like, arrested, right, you know, or the guy playing the American arrested, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Big the, false flag. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they're, they're you know, they're they're not, like, patsies here. They're not just the, the sweatshirt gang or whatever they were called, the sweatsuit mafia. Um, <laughs> and what at the sort same of makes time... this work, too, is that... <clears throat> I was going to say, well, real quick, and what makes this work for me is that They've been patient, right? They they show us the scene of Nick Fury promising that he was going to work with them to find a place where they could live. And it's been 30, 40 years, whatever. And it makes sense to me that someone who's maybe a little bit more on the radical end would be really upset at this point. That, like, where is any progress that you've made here? You kind of used us to do your bidding in S.H.I.E.L.D. and in all of these other scenarios where we had to put ourselves at risk. And we don't see any benefit coming our way. Right. And so the personal vendetta against Nick Fury in particular makes sense to me. And it makes sense that he's wanting to not only get a world for himself, but also to like make Nick Fury pay in the process. Like that to me feels like a not a reasonable thing, but like a thing that could happen, especially in like a thriller or a movie rather than, oh, he just wants to take over the world because he wants unlimited power. Right. This is what we deal with the Mujahideen. This is literally the yeah. U.S. and the Mujahideen of just, <laughs> hey, we gonna hook it up and we got you. Broken promises, lies, and then you know right. you end up creating your own enemy because of a lack of yeah, and that follow feels, up or whatever. That's yeah, that's that feels grounded times in, real in life. things we've done. The CIA has done right. So, um, I like that. I like that aspect of this Peak that theory. we're not. Yeah, I like that aspect that we're not just being force fed like a a power hungry maniac, you know, who wants to take over or like high evolutionary. Although I did like high evolutionary, but you know, the the this sort of they tie it to some kind of reality that we can understand. Disenfranchised people getting radicalized is one of the oldest tropes, and it's like it's been yeah. around. For, and they didn't. I'm just agreeing. They did it super well. I was sold yeah. on that. And they haven't well. overdone that part of it, right? It's just it's just there. It's in the background. It was it 40 sense. years. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think part of what makes it work also is that 
so far, at least, they are not harnessing some MacGuffin weapon or something. Uh, you know, oh. Tesseract, I'm looking at you. It's not They're like, not oh, we trying need the to Tesseract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not some like, you know, mumbo, mumbo jumbo weapon that is threatening the entire planet and we're just going after that thing. I like the, I very much like the fact that this is, this is a, a much more subtle approach and that they are going to fabricate a war, a nuclear war between two world powers, right? The U.S. and, and Russia, uh, which, you know, you know, like has a lot of has a lot of precedence in in history and real life, uh, like you mentioned. Um, and and the whole fact of, of fabrication, I think, is also really interesting, right? Like that to me, that that feels very grounded in where where we're at with, you know, news and and all that kind of stuff and how that might play out um, in in a real world context. So stay I tuned for the next episode, friends. I think that's kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, the, the Skrull Rebels, I think a, an important point of comparison are the Flag Smashers from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who to me were not a very credible, believable group at all. Like I, and, and, like, they, they just weren't very interesting because, like, you know, they're like people from the blip who were living all over the planet. And it, all of that just, like, required a, an amount of, like, logic or... uh you know, uh, disbelief of reality that it just didn't add up. Um, plus, their leader wasn't all that interesting. Here we have kind of the opposite of that, I think, where you you can understand the resentment that, you know, a group of refugees might feel, broken promises, uh, and then, you know, trying to play the world powers off of each other. Uh, that, you know, that seems a, a lot more easier to grasp. And then you got... Grimlock leading the leading them, who himself <laughs> oh is a gangster. God. Like he, he's such an interesting Yo. character. As soon as he marches into that into that high council meeting, you're like, man, this this guy, I'm I'm with him. Like I'm not rooting for him, <laughs> but this dude is legit. They were hating on him for wearing regular civilian human clothes, and he really had to t- like. He really turned up on him. He really was just saying, y'all wearing the man's clothes. He really called them sellouts. He really came in there with that. <laughs> yeah, the dude has presence. Uh, yeah, the guy has presence. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Shoot him right know, here he in the forehead. Before? What do you mean, that actor or that character? Yeah, the actor. I mean, probably, but nothing I recognize. But Kingsley Ben Adir. Let's but see. Dude is. It's probably a masterpiece good. theater. Yeah, dude is <laughs> the good. The OA, though. Peaky Blinders. All right, nothing, nothing huge. Yeah, nothing. This is this is his first major role. Everything else has been just a few episodes here and there on, on different mm-hmm. shows. All oh, right. Well, one. Wait, I guess which question? Which question are we on? We which were on is? four. All right. Uh, okay. Yes, that's fine with me. Cool. So, another thing about the story I gotta say is, uh, I am so glad they're leaning. Well, first of all, I've said this before in my previous stuff is that. I like that the Marvel Comics characters have such a wide range of tone that lets you do different types of stuff. I like that Ms. Marvel was able to be a more of a lighthearted family-ish comedy and be a bit more chill. I like that uh, She-Hulk was just a full sitcom in terms of like its tone. Whether you like it as its own thing, but I like that tonally the characters let you do a lot of different things. Um, to your point earlier, Wes, about the show being serious... I am glad they've leaned hard into the TV 14 element and they're really earning that rating because this is one of those projects where 
spy thriller stuff, you can get into some dark territory and those little things of how dark you make it, I think, can sell you on how high the stakes are. So the fact that we got an actual torture scene that they, you know, especially for like MCU and really in general, that was a really gritty torture scene where the MI6 lady has the false flag scroll captured and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to see what's up. And it starts off silly at first, right? Because they got the generic goon who's just kind of like, please, you're not talking. <laughs> Ruffle his head on the way out, slap his head. And I'm like, oh, y'all so silly. And then, she's, and then she starts injecting this man with liquid fire, chops off an effing finger. She was putting it, but she's just so charming. Which, by the way, the actress who played her, mm, mm, I loved her. She was so just campy, but like I was so uncomfortable with her in the space. Uh, Oscar-winning Olivia Colman. You know the fact. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the fact that they killed Maria Hill early on, which, regardless of how you feel about how dignified the death is, they didn't pull punches. She got shot. There was blood. There was no fake out. Uh, even Gravik beating up the goons. You know he shot multiple goons on screen, murdered with a gun, threw a guy on a meat hook, and they're doing a good balance of it's gritty, it's violent, it's not egregious, but a. This is not, this isn't just your superheroes playing punch in the backyard. Like, people are, the stakes are, little, these are things that sell me on the stakes of this because even the scrolls, right? Like, they're superhuman strong, but they're not superhuman durable. You shoot one in the head, they did. So, like, all the, I guess the show's <laughs> doing a good job of balancing. Durable. I'm saying, but the, the show is doing a good job of balancing how effective the various factions are, right? Like, the MI6 people aren't just completely helpless idiots. The, you know, even the U.S. government folks, they are plugged into stuff, too. And they even knew about the scrolls a little bit before Fury, you know, Fury didn't know that they knew a little bit because, you know, War Machine or Don, you know, uh, Rhodey knew. And so little things like that to me are really selling me on the quality of the story and the direction it's going to go. Because I love a show where you have multiple competing factions that are all actually good at their jobs. I don't think I'd enjoy this show as much if it was just the scrolls making all the world governments look like complete idiots. Scrolls are still taking L's. You know, that interrogation led to Gravik having to kill one of his men, which actively undermined his own, I think, his messaging with his people. You know, there's little stuff like that that's making the show, it's making it very clear that the writers were really intentional about what kind of story they wanted to tell. And they weren't just telling like a cookie cutter story. They're really putting in work of character having facial expressions to certain things happening and facial expressions that imply, hey, this is going to be important later. Like, I feel really strongly Gravik's, ruthlessness is going to undermine his leadership because you've already had moments where people are like well maybe our fearless leader doesn't know at all or you see him do cruel stuff to his fellow folks and you know even just the scrawl in the council was like yo i don't get down with any of this it's those are the layers of nuance that i think are going to push this show from good to great but main thing is they're embracing the tv 14 i did not think they were going to cut a dude's finger off live on screen (laughs) and show with blood and in sh- the finger and show the finger linger on screen and transform. You know, they could did the whole clean camera cut away. Like, nah, he's a scrawl green finger. All right, let's get cooking. Yeah. And so I'm, uh, I'm very excited about the story element of where this is going. So the cast has been pretty good. I mean, we already mentioned graphic. Uh, we mentioned Don Cheadle, Samuel L. I'm kind of mad. So we were going to ask what have been standout performances for you and the characters you've really enjoyed. And I was going to talk about Samuel L. Jackson and Don Cheadle having their little face off. But you guys already talked about it. So no, no, what I mean, if- there's, there's more like what's like what are some of the detailed stuff you liked about it? Because I have 
my own thoughts, but they're, you know, black guy thoughts about it. <laughs> well, I, I want to hear the black right? guy That was part of the, that wasn't even, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't even subtext. That was just text part of that, you know, discussion mm-hmm. that they were having. Um, but, I, and I think in, you know, it, it just, there was a lot that was like said, there was a lot that was unsaid. There was, it also wasn't necessarily just about race, right? Like, Nick Fury was almost being like in a weaker position of saying like, well, we should do each other a solid because we're, you know, we're both black. And Rhodey is like, bro, in order for that to be the case, like you have to be competent. Like I'm not just I'm not just out here doling out favors for no reason at all. Right. Like, you know, this is not this is not affirmative action happening here. Speaking of, you know, R.I.P. Supreme Court. But like, you know, that that was the message, right? Which is like a very real pervasive ideology, I think, both in the black community, but also just in general, right? Of like merit based, like, no, you bring your shit to the table and like you're you hit the standard. They call it the standard, right? People like to call it or the bar uh, or not. And and at that moment, right, he's realizing like Nick Fury doesn't have the goods right now. Like he doesn't have the position of power that he's had in the past. And he's also been messing things up in terms of geopolitical relationships and therefore like he's a liability. And so like the actual right call, right call, right. And in, in quotes is to just like leave him twisting in the wind. Like, Hey, you made, you made this mess. Like I'm not trying to save you from this mess. Cause that's going to create even more of a mess for me than I've already gotten. And so like, but just the way the intensity with which they were doing it, the way that Don Cheadle never stood up, he just sat back and he just said, no, nah, bro, you ain't, you ain't anything right now, right? Like, in his his tone, his seriousness, and just, like, Samuel L. Jackson just being, like, don't you worry, bro. Like, even if it seems like I'm not in this game, I'm still in this game, right? And mm-hmm. and that old head just know that confidence of, like, I'll find a way back. I don't I don't know what it is right now. And we know that he doesn't have a plan right now. But but he he's confident that he's going to find a way through this. Um, and then and then we see him melt down a little bit afterwards, right? The real mortality of of being older is actually you know hitting him. So a lot of that stuff was just like so so delightful. They didn't cut away from it. They just stayed on these two characters and these two actors doing their thing. So they are I letting Sam Jackson um, be Sam Jackson. Like when he delivered that <laughs> yeah, line, but not when I'm out, I'm still in. <laughs> like that, I laughed out loud. That was or, such a Sam Jackson <laughs> moment. Yeah. Or the train conversation with Talos, which, by the way, I think we, we that got that kind of got lost in the myth of the lost in the wind of that awesome Don, you know, conversation with Rhodey and Sam. But like that train conversation was awesome, where he's like, "Yo, a million scrolls." He's like, "A million here? Are you all your reptilian ass mind?" <laughs> and then when he have the whole bit about we've been fighting each other since we yeah. could stand up right. There's not enough tolerance or space on here for another species. I low-key stood up and started clapping i was like thank you because that is such a hilariously accurate summation of human history that boy said talos look at us you know we can't get along you're seeing this shit uh, but no but back to the conversation that PC but he was still talking about. fights for a better world right in yeah. some ways and he still fights to protect it so it's yeah like but this, you gotta be a realist <laughs> this dichotomy, yeah he's like said, we could coexist and not at all to coexist what <laughs> nah, come on but you knew you don't believe that yourself you know you don't believe that but another part of the conversation with those two i want to say before we can move on that i appreciate it was uh let's hear the black dude thoughts. very much very much the same reason why i enjoyed the show new girl is when shows can have mul- i'm going somewhere with this when shows can have multiple I'm black leads that 
very much summarized that black people are not a monolith. Black folk got all kinds of different opinions and people who don't agree and like, you know, you don't just they sold me on that so well because there's a camp of people who I think very much generally will align well with like Rody's line of thinking of a non like, you know, I appreciate you, I respect you personally, professionally, but like I am more you gotta earn it in a certain way. And then others who are a bit more a, I want to look out for people who look like me, regardless of what that looks like. And, and the, I guess what I appreciate is that there's no wrong answer because I feel like I've been on both sides of that. Where I've been on the Sam Jackson side of, hey man, you need to help a brother out with this situation. Now, obviously, the stakes are a little bit different, but <laughs> I've been on that side of it, and I've also been on the side of, hey, just because you know, not all skin folk are kin folk either, you know. And so, just the fact that the show was able to really. I think capture that even you know Don's point about hey man we share we share an ancestral connection a professional connection a personal connection I was like it made it just sold me on the convictions of these different characters and it really made me realize the writers know what they're doing with these characters because they really didn't make Samuel Jackson seem like the more laissez-faire kind of more old school compared to the button-up tight no, we follow procedure military guy. And, you know, that's a real thing. Like, people I've met, old drill sergeant black dudes who, ideologically speaking, we have next to nothing in common. <laughs> and that's okay. But how does that, how do you reconcile that with, okay, we might not have anything in common in terms of our personal beliefs in this, but how does that align with race and how we see it an obligation to people who look like us? And, you know, what's the sliding scale of that? But a lot of shows don't do that, period. You know, a lot of shows you're not going to get, especially in a show like this, you're not going to get multiple black leads who, have very distinctly different worldviews and experiences, and I'm glad that they uh, went all in on that because, again, like New Girl with the characters with Coach and uh, Coach and Winston, both black I dudes, love completely different ways of going about things in life, and I'm like, cool, this is the quality representation I like to see in media. Like, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, sure, I can't think of shows in my head now that have multiple Asian characters who are very distinct from one another, but I'm sure when you do see it, it feels good because it's like, cool. You don't have to put all these traits into one box for a character or define them by their race. Not to say that War Machine or Nick Fury were ever defined by their race, but it's a good balance of recognizing, hey, these are still black men, even if everything that they do isn't motivated by that. I was going to say, <clears throat> part of me actually rubbed a little bit wrong that Fury was asking for favors in a sense just because Rhodey was black or he thought that like he was going to have an in with Rhodey. And it feels like, well, then you didn't know Rhodey very well, I guess, or you miscalculated that, which seems like a very un-Nick Fury thing to do. And Nick Fury is never, <clears throat> never like talked about race in that way or used his race as a reason for doing something, right? Like in Captain Marvel that never came up and like Avengers that never really comes up. And it's, like, interesting that in, like, in this particular iteration of Nick Fury, they're sort of, like, letting him explore that a little bit. But in some ways, it felt a little bit incongruous with, like, what we know of Nick Fury in the past. Like, in the past, he's just sort of been, like, I'm the dude, right? Like, I know what to do. I know what the plan is. You're the best person for this job. I'm going to hire you. He's not, like, gone out of his way to hire a diverse Avengers, you know, group. Like, the Avengers are mostly white guys <laughs> and white girls. <laughs> like, you know, like, all of those things. He's just picking people He's with Clarence the right Thomas. power set for the right for the right reason, you know, and or or for the, the job that he wants them to do. Maybe not the right reason. So that's, that's, 
Well, in, what I'll in, say is that Fury's talking. You know I mean? Fury's brought up race in previous stuff before. Like, there was definitely some distinct monologue. Like, I, I forgot which one. I don't know if it's Captain America too, but like, there's a whole bit where he's talking to Steve about his granddad and how his da- granddad's experience with racism. There's been a there's been a decent amount. Like, it's not something that's like defining entire movies, but I don't think they've whitewashed his character where he just doesn't mention his race as a part of like his just philosophy in the world. I'll I have to find some of like the old like clips, but. There's a there's some distinct moments I remember where right. he explicitly does do that. So like I, I, wanna, I just hadn't remembered. I do want to push back on that. Okay, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I I hadn't remembered those things. I think the other thing is like he he what I did like vibe with was him saying like the mediocre Alexander Pierce's of the world, right? And he talks. He had mentioned I think previously that like he had really saved Alexander Pierce, right? It it was through his his excellence you know in the field of battle or whatever that had saved him and then alexander pierce ended up being not only hydra but also like you know secretary of defense or you know whatever position he held like this very high position um you know and he's just kind of like you can you can have a chip on your shoulder about other people getting promoted past you especially if they're not actually as capable as you are and so that that to me was like oh yeah okay like that i vibe with and i think that's something roadie would also understand and so that felt like the argument to make um there that he did well should we move on i think yeah one of the things about this show though is that they are they're leading hard into sam jackson as you know this this long beloved actor of many decades career who has a very certain personality i i feel like the show's leaning into that a lot uh which is great and they you know it's a shame that mcu hasn't done that quite as much before but at the same time it feels like they're pulling back on the character nick fury a lot as well so it you know we're we're sort of getting we're we're getting sam jackson and his kind of ethos and you you can almost feel his input into the show um but nick fury as a character uh in contrast feels a little neutered and is not is not able to do a lot of Nick Fury things like kind of like what you're saying, even having this conversation with Rhodey, something about it doesn't feel very Nick Fury esque. Like I think Nick mm-hmm. Fury so, is more on the sly has, is a, you know, several steps ahead of people knows how to manipulate situations. Um, he's very much on the back foot. And I realize that's part of the story, right? Like Nick Fury is on, yeah. the, you know, yeah. it's coming from behind in this, and and it's like hard to watch over two episodes already where he's he's really far behind. He just does not feel like the master spy that you know we come to expect. I realize that's yeah, we're part wondering of the story of the show. Lost it's touch. just Yeah, it's it's just not like it it makes it not land as well as you'd hope for. So that I mean that's something mm-hmm. to look out for. Well, he's probably gonna have a you know, like a hero's return or something, uh, midway or hundred percent, seventy five percent of the way through. The um, but yeah, it's it's something to look out for, and and I do think though the reveal at the end of episode two is going to play a major part in all of this, right? And and why that's going to be super interesting. Nick Fury is in the situation that he's in. Mm-hmm. What was what reveal are you talking about? His wife is a scroll. That his wife, wife is a scroll. Is that episode two? It's episode Does two. he know Jesus that West. she's a scroll? Probably. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, that, I think that yeah. we even said we're talking about that. Like, it, they played it like he doesn't know because she was in her scroll form, and then when he came in, 
she turned back into her human form. It's but maybe, ended. you know, maybe that's just like how they're more comfortable together. No, I think that's 100% because they established in the first episode that the fighters for Gravik, who are the deep, deep cover scroll, never change their forms because you want to always just be on your toes. Even if you're by yourself, you stay into your form. And I think they dropped that line of dialogue to make it explicitly clear that, if, you know, in that situation, oh, she's not in deep cover because she's just at home chopping vegetables. So if she's just doing that with regular clothes on, she's probably not on a deep cover mission. And we established that Gravik already said he had a chance to kill Fury and didn't. So it wouldn't make sense to have a spy ready to try and kill him if you already had a chance and you intentionally didn't. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, the flashback when Gravik is a kid is brought and Fury makes the promise to the Skrulls. The Skrull who brought him the kid, who he kind of was talking to, is the same Skrull that was uh, at his house. So like... My my understanding is that these two just are actually tight like that and are married. And, like, that's his actual wife, which it's not the wildest thing considering Fury. And, like, that's not some weird out-of-pocket stuff, all things considered. One thing I want to say, though. It feels a little bit weird. Like, well, how William Shatner did it. You know, relations. Stop. You're, you're overthinking it, Wes. Stop. <laughs> you're overthinking it. Uh, you didn't think of that? No, because I'm not eight. <laughs> did you think how about that when it came parts to ego together? and the mama and guardians? Ego and the Guardians, definitely. Definitely. How did that work? Except he had a human form, and they they mentioned that he had human, you know. The scrolls have a human form! All right, all right. (laughs) Point is, uh, (laughs) one thing I'll I'll add, though, about the Nick Fury stuff, and, you know, to what extent Sam Jackson is kind of embodying the character, do not forget that this is a comic thing, too. When they made the ultimate version of Fury in 2001, Sam Jackson literally signed off on them using his likeness for the character. So... 10 years before we even got the Marvel movies, Nick Samuel L. Jackson was already Nick Fury. That's why when very it was black screen, it looked even more badass. Like, what'd you say? Yeah. Very I mean, Fury's a, com- Fury's a nerd. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson's a nerd, point blank. So, like, I guess my point is that Nick Fury already had those Samuel L. Jackson-esque influences in his dialogue, even in the comics, even in the early movies. So I'm not surprised that we're getting more of it. But to your point, Brian, I agree storyline wise he's definitely not in his prime the question is how does he return to his prime and how does that then impact his dialogue and character interactions i'm again hoping that we get that in the next episode or so soon because uh i one that's a really fun version of the character to see and i actually would appreciate this version more knowing that this is temporary and then we get him more on top of his game because right now everyone's saying He's old. He's got a limp. He's a shadow of himself. Something. Everybody's shitting on him. <laughs> I've been shitting on my son the whole first two episodes. Like, man, get this. Get he's washed. Get him out of here. They talking about him like you know he LeBron Brown when he missed the playoffs. Like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let my son get back in in proper form before y'all start writing my guy off. But again, this is gonna be one of those. How I view this is really going to depend on how they stick the landing and some of the other execution. But I think they're on the right path. I'm excited. All right, so you're into it, Brian. You into it? You gonna keep watching? Of course, I'm gonna keep watching. Uh, am I gonna enjoy every moment right, of right. it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They've delivered uh, an up and down first two episodes. Down, starting with down, then up. Uh, so we'll see which direction they go. Uh, the next few. Uh, it's better but than I'm, up than down. I'm hopeful. I mean, I, I'm I like hopeful. To think it's I do think this swing. is. This feels to me. This feels like. Better than Falcon and the Winter Soldier so far, um, but maybe maybe worse than some of the more creative outings uh, of the MCU TV shows. 
<laughs> you love Hawkeye. Just admit it. Yeah, where's the Christmas tree? There's no Christmas tree. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, wait. So do y'all know? Do y'all know about Super Scroll? Yes. So okay, here's I I only know about it because I watched the YouTube. Um, and because you play Marvel <laughs> Super <Snap>. Scroll. <clears throat> well, okay. So Marvel Snap the the default card shows him with a like. <sighs> Uh, a a wrecking ball fist basically or like a brick fist and it's like yeah. all super stretched out yeah. and then his other arm is on fire yeah never really paid attention to it before yeah fantastic uh, four. great card by the way in marvel's Snap. that's what that's about him, uh very good yeah but apparently that's the the power set that they had copied is the the fantastic fours power set right away so uh or that was the first the first thing they tried so that makes sense now that the marvel snap card is that and then now we're also we see the different um uh, powers that they're trying to in- engender. So, like, Groot will be the super stretchy part, right? Like, he's going to yeah. have the the arm branches grow. So, that'll be the super stretch part. And then uh, they had... Who else did they have? Oh, the, they had, like... The, the, the extremist things, those fire people that yeah, were from so Iron Man like, 3. Exactly. So, that'll be, like, Johnny Storm. And then uh, they don't have an invisibility one, but they did have, like, kind of the super strength one. Uh, yeah, from Call Obsidian, one of, you know, Thanos' goons. And, by the way, and that the was frost a really- giant thing. Yeah, by the way, those are all really good callbacks to just random MCU little just like tidbits. It's like sometimes you think, hey, what happened to a boy's hand? Like, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, but it's nice to know, hey, yeah, I guess if we were secretly invaded by a bunch of shapeshifters who need a a superhero (laughs) contingency contingency plan, they're out here gathering superhuman DNA. Like, that's not the, that makes perfect sense in the context of their motives and their capabilities. Like, right, like Groot left behind branches in Wakanda after the battle there. The Frost Beast got stranded at the end of Thor 2 in the Crow's Cut scheme. Like, the creature was running around. Uh, also, I think its ability is going to have something to do with the infrared spectrum. That's my guess if they're going to copy the Invisible Woman stuff. Like, that's my my guess because Frost Creature, whatever, right? Uh, the fire creature, the fire dudes from uh, Iron Man 3, like, they were even in, like, Shang-Chi, right? In that fighting pit arena. Like, yeah. I do like how Marvel's doing a good job of saying, hey, these things that happen in these movies... They don't just conveniently disappear off the earth. They might not be defining a bunch of stuff, but they still have a role to play. And I thought, like, me pausing the screen and reading each of those little entries, I got legit hyped as hell. So, uh, the fact that we're getting Super Scroll is... I mean, he's in the video game Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and he was one of my main characters. So, like, I used to play him for years and just do Super Scroll shit. So, I can't wait to see what that looks like on screen. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to try to put all these abilities in, like, one scroll or if, like, different scrolls are going to have different abilities. Historically, historically, I think the point has been, like, if they want to stay even a little true to the original character, Super Scroll's a champion of his people. He's, like, an ultimate bio. He's almost like their Captain America of, like, hey, we just going to make a badass super warrior who just puts in work. So I'd imagine it'll just be one scroll. Having a whole army of scroll people with that, they didn't even do that in the comics, and I think... They didn't because that's frankly a little a lot. OP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a bit much. So it's um, I'm excited. Like that's gonna be fun to see play out. But I had to. I bet you it's gonna be graphic. I feel like in one of the previews I saw or like trailers, like he had like a Groot arm come out or something. Oh, like see, that. I didn't watch any of the trailers for that because I was like, and I'm glad yeah. I didn't because that would have spoiled that. And I'm oh, so no, sorry. Good. Thanks, no, Wes. No, cool. Somebody's somebody's gonna get a Groot arm. I don't know if it was graphic, but somebody's it'll gonna almost, get a Groot arm. It'll almost certainly be graphic. I don't okay. think there's any other good reason to give the other scroll. Graphic is also a badass who can actually fight. So 
and they've established that, I don't think they're going to just give generic goon the awesome no. power set. Well, his his right-hand man has, like, had a little bit of a role, so maybe they could give it to him, too. But, yeah. All right. Pagan. Pagan. Something like that. Let's wrap it up there. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit lukewarm on this show so far, but I did really like that second episode. I, I texted uh sav you know like i really enjoyed the second one so if the third one is as good and we kind of keep it rolling then you know hats off to marvel uh if it falls back to episode one and me and brian were talking about this like it's not like episode one is oh, y'all bad. Were talking okay well someone woke up late and didn't show up so what did we have to talk about MF, I was like <laughs> eight minutes late don't well, you try and throw me, do don't you like throw me under the bus in those in those no, eight minutes, we talked bus. about, and you you got mad that we talked about things. So uh, you know, you brought it upon yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you were late. Um, oh, I'm about we to petted the bell on your punk ass. Do you, think, <laughs> no, do you think? Do you think? Do you think? Keep talking. Talk your talk. <laughs> well, we were just. I mean, I was saying like Don't I didn't necessarily up. understand the ins and outs of why the first episode didn't feel as great as the second episode. For me, I think it was just like. There's a lot of new characters, a lot of things I didn't remember, and it just felt like I was always trying to get my footing. And then they tried to do too many like reveals, like uh, Ross being a scroll, and then you're like, well, is he really a scroll? And then nobody even really tries to figure it out, right? And so it's like, kind of like left by the side. And then Maria Hill dies at the end. It's like, oh man, that's a big deal, but like we just kind of that ends the show. And so there's all these like, oh, and we're seeing Nick Fury not be on top of his game, and then we're seeing um Gaia and we're like who's Gaia like is she she looks familiar like are we having Game of Thrones crossover and then it's like Talos it's like Brian was telling me he didn't remember who Talos was and I was like yeah but that's the guy from like Star Wars but like he's not so what was his character in this one and I didn't remember like what he was like you know so there's all this there's all this stuff you're trying to remember in the first one and they do a good job of catching you up eventually but it or they do an okay job it, it just felt like there was a lot of moving pieces and not a lot of, like, substance to grab onto. Like, I think we could have been okay just focusing on, like, one character, right? Just focusing on Talos or something like that for more of the episode. But it was what it was. The second episode really shines in terms of, like, we get those juicier moments. So You're like a baby. Just interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, I, yeah, I, like I said, it wasn't bad. It just didn't feel as good as the second episode. And I, I had a hard time putting my finger on why. I don't know. Brian, did you have any more thoughts about, like, why that first one felt so much better. You don't have to get in the nitty gritty details, but it's like yeah, what I mean it. It was kind of all over the place. Or didn't work. Uh, they're trying to establish too many things, and really, we don't have as an audience didn't really have an investment in any of it at that point. And I think what's different about the second episode is that they they put for they put front and foremost like the the whole idea of deception and that there, you know, there's these things that are happening. Um, and those things have real stakes, right? Um, and you're 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 worried you're worried about uh, who's playing what side, and you know I think that comes into the forefront and makes that episode feel much more tense, right? And then on top of that, you mm. get you get the back and forth between the characters trying to you know struggle with those uh, with that conflict, right? In the first episode. It's kind of like let's just throw everybody together, and they're talking about stuff that we don't understand, and and then like there's a bomb at the end, right? And I, I think it just yeah. you know it falls flat uh, because they're really not they haven't given us a chance to catch up to what's going on. Um, I you know I I kind of think like the first episode if if they had 
as you said, stuck with a singular character or like really give us an entry point into the storyline, uh, it could have worked a lot better. And, and part of it is is the whole Nick Fury factor, right? Where like Nick Fury actually hasn't been such a major moving part of the show so far. Like he's sort of in a backseat position. Like he's just along for the ride. He's not so much driving what's going on. Uh, and I think he's our entry point, right, into Secret Invasion. Uh, so that was kind of lacking and, you know, just falls flat ultimately because of it. Savan? I mean, I think it's a good show. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm extremely excited. Uh, like I said, I think, I think the second episode was obviously way better than the first, but I recognize for any of these, like, types of thriller type shows where there's going to be twists. I'm use I usually just kind of give the first episode or so a little bit of grace because they have to establish a bunch of stuff and this is gonna for me this again this is one of those I think that the first episode will look better in hindsight depending on how the rest of this series goes and you know when I do my eventual rewatch that'll really be something I'll be able to kind of have a stronger opinion on but I don't disagree that the first episode wasn't perfect but again like basically for me it'll come down to how long do we have this diminished version of Fury? If we don't have it for long, it makes the first two episodes way better retroactively. If we have it for too long, it'll make them worse retroactively. So I kind of want to like view this as a completed product before I really reserve judgment just because, uh, I mean, shows like Game of Thrones are proof that like all the early stuff doesn't can be undermined by the ending. So let's just see how they kind of take it from here. But it's a six-episode series, so I don't think it's going to drag on. So I feel good about uh, just the whole collective project. What I have some well theories. I have some response. theories. I you have some theories, theories about character stuff. But uh, I feel like now's the time to throw them out. Call your shot. Okay, here's my theory. My theory is that <coughs> Gravik is like him and Fury have a way deeper relationship than what we actually realize. He's Fury's uh, son. Fury has a wife. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with it, like, he met him as a kid, learned that he was a survivor, he got brought by the woman who eventually was his wife and found him, like, he explicitly said, I don't want to kill Fury because I want him to suffer, I'm like, alright, so there's way deeper beef than just I want to win, I don't know exactly, and you know, now, I can't, I just want to learn more about Fury's marriage and how that plays into all of this, because that's clearly going to be a key point, but yeah, Brian, I think Gravik and Fury have like a father-son type deal going on. This is a strange Skrull son who got radicalized. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, maybe goodness. he was one of his operatives in S.H.I.E.L.D. already or something. Maybe that's where he learned how to do all of this, like, you know, string pulling that, that Gropik's been doing. I mean, he said from the beginning, he said from the start, right, when he met him, this kid fled on a ship. He's a survivor. They made it clear and they said, hey, you know, literally it was the wife, Vara, I think, Fury's wife who wanted to induct him into the work. Fury was like, no. And she was just like, nah. And, you know, like, so Fury 100% trained him and all that. It's just a matter of, you know, very much like the Mujahideen. <laughs> you train people, <laughs> don't have an exit strategy, all learn, turn, plan, and then they use that shit against you. <laughs> and Whoops. bam, just like that, we're on the precipice of World War III. Uh, damn it. All right, friends. Well, that'll do it for us. Hit us up on Instagram at confidently underscore pod. What did you think of the first two episodes? Are you in it or are you out? What did you think of Don Cheadle and Samuel L. Jackson going at it? 
head to head in the middle of an empty dining room. Wesley's a scroll, y'all. <laughs> I would be the I worst knew it. scroll in the history of you mankind. Would. <laughs> yeah, because isn't that whole thing they only can copy like recent memories? So I'm like, even if Wes was a scroll, he can't remember old stuff. So now we just can't. <laughs> we can't actually vet fat check. We got to chop a pinky tip off. Oh, I'd be I'd be so bad. All just right, friends, that'll do. See you later. <laughs> Bye.